Welcome to Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. This podcast will offer weekly episodes equipping passive and active investors alike with the tools, knowledge, and confidence to build wealth through one of the most powerful wealth creation vehicles out there, apartments. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, 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 everybody. Welcome, Money Mondays, everybody. We do this every Monday, 3.30 Central. Why'd you have to screw up my intro, dude? Because we're doing theme show <laughs> song music, all right, as always. All right, all right. Keep the dancing to the professionals, my friend. Uh, no, no, you don't want to see me on the dance floor, trust me. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, man? We're talking about what is a good return on a real estate investment today. Oh. My, my, my. If we would have done this five months ago, we'd say something completely different. That's probably true. That's probably true. You know, and, and you have to look at it, you know, when you're buying the deal, folks, right? You know, things evolve, things change, credit markets change, risk change, you know. Uh, we won't talk about risk-adjusted returns on this, even though people should know that. You know, we're not going to get into that concept, but, you know, just a, a high level of what that is, is the, you know, the Class C deal, value-add deal that has a, you know, a 17% IRR might be a lot more risky than the Class A deal that has a 15% IRR. And you have to take that risk into consideration when you're actually looking at deals in order to have an apples to apples comparison. But we won't get into that today because we're just talking about returns, not just necessarily risk adjusted. So we had some questions come in ahead of the show. I'm gonna get you involved in this one, man. No working, all right? No working. Always working, all day, every day. How have the real estate returns or projections, I guess, Changed. This one says twelve months. I'm going to say six months. I'm say three months. I mean, really, probably in the right. past four yeah. months. So, you know, historically, I'd say for a B class value add, you're probably looking at realistic underwriting of sixteen percent. Yeah. Right. That's probably right. IRR. Yeah. More IRR. Safe. Right. Average annual seventeen. Some around there. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Right. Now, I'd say both of those have probably shifted. You know, to be about mm, let's say pick three percent. Ish worse, so you're looking at maybe 13 IRR. Uh, it's not that 14, low. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, 14, 14% probably. IRR, 2 to 3%. How about that? Yeah, 14% worse IRR, and your average annuals dropped. And again, it's not to say that deals can't do better, but ultimately, if you're modeling the deals appropriately and you know, looking and modeling in, hey, rates going up, or maybe sticking yep. to the SOFA forward curve, which is what we like to do, which Again, I don't really think. I think that's more of a worst case model, right? But okay, I think what is, what is the what is the SOFR forward curve? SOFR forward curve. <laughs> so for those that don't know, most of your floating rate debt is based on an index called SOFR. Mm-hmm. Stands for. Do you know what it stands for, Ben? Here's twenty dollars if you know what it stands for. Standard wait, bet overnight. Me 20, bet me twenty dollars. I rates. Close. I was actually secured overnight uh, yeah. financing rate, I think. But all, right, anyway. all right, all right, So Ben owes me $20, and you know. <laughs> I never bet anything. At, if I play about? to the SOFR curve, that actually will increase in value over time, because uh, you're not going to pay it with all the other debts you owe me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Only owe you like but, three or four you know, steak dinners, right? And so, yeah, uh, yeah, but ultimately it's what is used to measure floating rate, right? Uh, so it was, for the longest time, zero, like literally zero. Like, I think it was like 0.04. Zero, zero, yeah. yeah, it was like, like, now it was like it's next to 1.75, right? So uh, it's gone up, and most of the time bridge debt is a spread on top of the SOFA forward. Uh, so on top of SOFA. SOFA forward curve is saying, okay, now let's say we take what does the market think yes. the SOFA rate will be it's, over the next two years? It's everybody's, years. Pr- it's the credit market's projection as to where SOFA will be over the next, you know, call it 36 months. 
Now, most of the time, it's wildly off. But right now, that's how the credit market is, is, is really grading risk, right? You know, that's what your lender's looking for. That's what your cap, your cap rate provider is looking at and whoever sells you the cap is looking at. Regardless if it ends up being correct or not, most likely it's probably not going to be. But that's the only data that you really have to go and say kind of projections, right? So, you know, I mean, really where it's at is it's going to go up, but then it's going to go down a little bit and it's going to be like, like this. Right, and so you're trying to bake in, you know, what kind of a cap do you want to buy, and how much is that going to cost, and you know, how much is the run up until your cap starts paying you, and how much is the payoff going to be? There's a lot of things that get baked in that could, you know, uh, you know, hinder your projections or maybe help your projections, right? You know, but I do agree with Ferris, right? Probably two to three percent drop in returns. Um, and that's really essentially because of the rise in the interest rates. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this on the show before. The fundamentals are still there, folks. The only thing that's changed is the interest rate environment, right? We still invest in population and job growth high markets, right? And tax and business-friendly landlord states, right? That's not going away. And that's Texas and throughout the Sun Belt. And if you're investing in those, in those states, you've also got a supply and demand problem you know, that also helps, right? There's more people moving to these areas than they have housing for. That's a good thing if you're a landlord, right? You have pricing power, right? So all of this is still good, positive, right? But again, your cost of capital, what you're going to pay for your interest rate, therefore your note is gone up, right? Do we think it's going to go down? Yes, I do. But that's probably 6, 12, maybe 18 months away, right? So you got to plan and you got to underwrite accordingly. Right. Absolutely agree. All right. So going on, this we kind of already touched on this. What are the changes in your underwriting impact projected returns? Right. I think you got you got to underwrite to the interest rates. Interest rate being yeah. higher, your cost of capital has gone up, so therefore you have less cash flow. That's mm-hmm. really that simple, folks. Yeah. I mean, again, the fundamentals are still there. Rents are still going up. Right. You know, you still have a supply and demand problem. So your occupancy is going to be very, very high. Right. So that's those are all positive things, but they they ultimately balance out with that interest rate. So you have to play that in. Look at the SOFR forward curve. You know, you can start kind of determining work with a mortgage broker. We work with Anton Matley at Peak Financing. It's important to understand how this stuff works, because once you understand the debt market, you can structure your deals accordingly and really mitigate risk for your investors, right? I think people are just, they just eat this stuff up as far as, you know, how to raise money and how to underwrite deals, but they don't really understand how the debt market works. And that's important to understand, right? So we talked about what kind of returns investors can expect, right? You know, you're, you're in that 13 to 15% IRR, right? Maybe there's some deals that are still in that 16, 17% IRR deals, right? And they're still out there. We've seen a couple of them ourselves, right? But that's what people need to understand for at least the next six to 18 months. That's probably where things are going to shake out at. Um, how would this vary based on asset class? I would say, again, you know, um, it's, all, it's all pretty much the same. I think that it's, across the board, it's kind of lowered, right? I don't think that, like, the C-class stuff is lowered more than the A-class, right? You know, again, yeah. you got to look at the risk-adjusted returns, which the show is not supposed to be talking about today. But I think that's how you have to kind of, you, you have to But it's judge important. It. You should all, we should always talk about risk-adjusted returns so people do not We might want to have a show about that. Let's put we that We should down. always talk about the rat. The risk adjust. Oh shoot! I got that. Uh, the rar. <laughs> the rar. The rar. Risk adjusted returns. I thought it was. It was a good. It was a good try. It was a good try. I just. Yeah. But no, Shanna, let's let's put that down on a future. Not next week, because you know we got to do a little bit more research on this whole thing, right? But 
Risk-adjusted returns are important. Um, you know, how do you handle investor expectations when it comes to adjusting returns? I think ultimately people get it, right? You know, there's still, again, a great hedge. Multifamily is still a great hedge against inflation and, and just, you know, some of the, the, the headwinds that the economy has in general. Right, that supply and demand. I keep going back to that because that's important to understand. Right, you know, built home builders are, are are pulling back, houses are getting more expensive. Right, what is that going to do to apartment renters? That's going to continue to drive occupancy up, and really kind of put it into a heated market. I mean, I've read articles. I don't know where the hell this was, but you know, at the end of the day, where people were bidding or, or trying to get on wait lists and trying to, you know, I'll pay more than this person. It's insanity right now, but that's because they're not building enough product, folks, right? Especially throughout the Sun Belt. You need to understand that. So when the people, the smart people, the sophisticated, the accredited investors, they understand those dynamics and those metrics, and they understand that, hey, that this is still a good asset class to be in, and it will be for quite some time. So, you know, everybody gets it. Interest rates have gone up. They've, that's the only thing that anybody's talked about for the last three or four months, right? So. My Q's gone up. Wow, really? Wow, that's that's amazing, my friend. That's really, really amazing. It's amazing. I know. You can't, you think you can go much higher, right? It's pretty impressive. <laughs> oh god, this guy. This guy. All right. So we had some we had some Q and A that we didn't get to from the last show, right? Do you recommend creating an LLC for buying deals so brokers take you seriously? I don't think that has anything to do with a broker uh, taking you seriously. Yeah, the LLC, like no broker checks your LLC, but you do need to have a brand. A brand, hey, they I'm will. Not, it's not Ben Suttles costing, it's yes. Ben from Disrupt Equity, right? And, and I think so, yes. Having a company probably legitimizes, it's like, it's like having a real email versus a Gmail, right? You know, I think that the broker will take you more seriously. And let's be honest, folks, what is the first thing that anybody does when they hear about somebody? Search. They look them up. Right, and so if you could say, "Hey, I'm Joe Blow from XYZ Firm." Guess what? They're going to go look to XYZ Firm. If you've got a slick website, that's going to add some legitimacy to you, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have an LLC, right? You can have an S corp, you can have a C corp, you can have no corp, right? They don't really care, and a website doesn't really matter, right? But I'm obviously to protect your rights and all that stuff. It's nice to kind of incorporate some of these things. So, but again, to to the to the to the meta point that I'm trying to make. I don't think you necessarily need an LLC. You just need to have that polish and that fit and finish of being an actual firm. That's where they get more comfortable versus, you know, somebody, some cowboy out there just, you know, out there making offers and doesn't really have a means to actually get the deal done. That that just screams risk for a broker. And right now the brokers are looking for a, a sure thing. They're giving deals to people they know can close in this environment. And so anything that you can do to legitimize yourself is probably a positive thing. So... Open Q and A. Anybody got questions? Talking about return, talking about real estate, talking about multifamily. Questions. questions, please ask them. We will answer them live, but we did get a couple, so let's see. Um, JT says Indiana has the best rental homes in America. Wow, that's bold statement, my Very friend. That is statement. a bold we statement. We do like Indiana. To some no, we do. We well, like the Midwest. So. We like the Midwest, and I would agree, JT. You probably you probably got some of the best cash flows in the country, um, but. I don't know if you're going to have the best appreciation. Yeah, so Let's keep going. Uh, Christian says, question, let's say you guys buy a property units with significant repairs. You charge project manager fee to oversee the rehab. 
or let's just say, well, we just moved. let's just say new construction and development. If so, how you charge based on purchase price or based total rehab cost? So a lot to unpack on that email, or excuse me, on that yeah. question, right? I would say the first thing is, you know, typically on a construction project. On a value add deal. On a value add deal, there could be a construction management fee that's charged either back to the pro- property management company that does the construction management, or it's part of a general contractor's just uplift, right? Their margin is going to be baked into that, right? You're going to be paying somebody to do something, right? And even if it's like, hey, I got an in-house person who's going to project manage, right? That person's still getting a paycheck. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're paying somebody to do that. Otherwise, you're doing it in yourself and you're never going to be able to scale that way. But yes, there is always typically some kind of a construction management fee. Now, on a I've development seen, project, a lot of times it's based on the actual development costs, like the building, yes. the whole project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I would say that's probably one to three points, on the development costs, I'd say I've seen construction management fees from anywhere from one to six. So just to kind of give you some perspective, and again, that's based on invoice amount too. So both of those are like actual costs, not some hypothetical scope of work and budget that was made ahead of time, right? That's like what it actually costs to do the work, yeah. right? And so um, good question though, great question. All right, let's keep going. Um, let's see, uh, JT says in Indiana, I'm averaging greater than 2,000 rent per 100,000 spend. That's great. Uh, what market are you in, JT? I see you have multiple comments, so I'd love to know like where in Indiana. Are you talking about Indianapolis or somewhere else? Um, Mark Clark says credibility, credit ably, creditability, I think that's what he meant to say, which is true. Yes, Like hey, even an LLC will give you some credibility. Um, another person says, uh, what states are you voiding deals in? And then before Ben answers, we one of the, the responses came back are uh, avoid Illinois like the plague, avoid Michigan, avoid Maryland. I will I, actually, those probably weren't going to be my top three. Is it not going to uh, be a top three? So. <laughs> I was probably going to say avoid the coast. We've heard mixed things uh, on Illinois for sure. Yeah, you know, the we coasts do. are expensive, although nice markets, but they're also not landlord they're friendly. Definitely, and they're not tax friendly either. So, you know, I mean, I, I would say. New York and California. If I was gonna, if I was just gonna pick on two two states, that I would love for them to be incredible because I love both those states. I just don't feel like they're great. They're not great states to invest into. Let's put it that way. But people have been making money in Manhattan for two centuries now. So you know what the heck do I know? But that's not what we invest for. We're 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 a cash flow team right here. So you know we're looking for some level of cash flow, not just hoping to buy something in, in Manhattan and then hope to ride it out and sell it to the next guy down the road for more money. That's not how we invest. That's more speculation in my book. But I want to, to congratulate JT. That's a heck of a buy, man. If you're getting that, congrats. You know, maybe give us uh, you know, some, some J- tips. JT said um, mm-hmm. he's getting that in, uh, uh, where'd it go? I saw it on here a second ago. Fort Wayne to Indianapolis. Okay, we know some people in Fort Wayne. We do. You know, we know some people that are in Indianapolis as well. So, uh, congrats, man. That's a, that's a good that's a good, uh, that's a good investment. Well, yeah. you know, so, do yeah. more of those, then you create a fund and let us go invest in you. <laughs> there you go. We like we there like you go. I like it. I like it. We like cash flow. So let's see. Otherwise, if people have comments, questions, please leave them. We'll answer them live. Otherwise, we'll just keep chugging along. No more questions. Nope. Oh my gosh. Well, it wouldn't be a Money Monday unless we talked about the Multifamily Investor Network Conference. And the next one, folks, is in Atlanta, Georgia. One of our favorite spots, one of the places that we've invested heavily into because it's got all those great dynamics that we were talking about, right? So this is gonna be November 12th this year. So it's coming up in a couple months. Get that early bird special for a limited time. Get $150 off. Shannon doesn't let us make any money at this price. It's insanity. It goes until August 26th. So go to mfinvestornetwork.com, put in early bird, 
all one word, into the coupon code, get your $150 off your tickets. Love to see you there. We're gonna be rolling out some great speakers as we usually do. And again, it's another opportunity to get yourself educated, to network, and to find that potential next partner or the next potential investor too, right? Yep. So, boom, what is coming up next week? Oh my gosh, we're identifying great Real estate markets. Might have to put we just on, talked about. We might have to put on Fort Wayne in Indianapolis. Wayne, Indianapolis. We're going to let the cat out of the bag here. Yeah. No, but um, we did got- get another comment. So if people have comments, questions, please ask them. We'll answer them live. One was, thoughts on commercial investing apartments in Houston, Texas. Well, it just so happens we are based in Houston, Texas. We do live here. We do and have investments here. We do here, commercial like investing in apartments in Houston, Houston Texas. Texas. We know a lot about it. I mean, we think it's a great market, whether you're buying you know, your 30, 40, 50 unit apartments or you're doing the larger stuff, no. right? It's been, I mean, it is one of the, it's the fastest, largest population growth city yeah. between now or two, I think from 2001, to, uh, sorry, 2021 to 2025. Yeah. So you that know, alone speaks for it, You right? got a ton of population growth. You got a ton of jobs coming here, folks. There is still some supply and demand constrained parts of the, the, the city. The only thing that I would, I'd say is there are certain parts that flood. So that's the downside, right? But if you know where you're investing, you know what what a flood zone map looks like, you can avoid those. But we love Houston. Obviously, this is where we live, you know. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll, you know, we love Texas Hall in general, too. Absolutely. But anyway, check it out next week, Money Mondays, every Monday at 3.30. We're talking about identifying great real estate markets next week. Look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. We have some really great episodes coming up, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For those interested in passively investing in cash-flowing multifamily properties, visit disruptequity.com invest. Fill out your information there, and you will get notified when we release our next multifamily passive investment offering.